we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikori, an executive director of the Center, and we're going to be talking about a new report we released this week, authored by Todd Benzman on our staff, based on data that we had to sue out of the federal government. We had submitted a Freedom of Information Act request, a FOIA request, which is a process you have to go through to get the government to release data that it's supposed to be, they're supposed to be releasing anyway. They didn't comply within the deadline that's set by the law. And so we sued them, finally got the information, and Todd uh, wrote it up in two reports that are on our website now at the slideshow at the top. And Todd will tell us a little more about them, but the basic point is data on how the CBP-1, CBP is Customs and Border Protection, CBP-1, is a uh, cell phone app that allows people overseas, foreigners, to schedule their illegal immigration into the United States. As you can imagine, it's something the Biden administration has not wanted to give a lot of details about. Where are these people coming from? What are the total numbers? That sort of thing. Todd managed to pry it out of DHS and wrote it up for us, and there are some important The numbers themselves are important, and there's important implications. So, Todd, thanks for joining us. And if you could just give a little primer on what it is that we were trying to get information about. Sure. Well, the CBP-1 scheme, which is, as you described, this sort of strategy to bring people who were going to cross illegally over the border through an official kind of established port of entry through the buildings there that anybody would enter so that they don't add to the congestion and clogging and, you know, especially scenes that look terrible from a Fox News drone at the riverbank. So this was announced in a big way in January of 2023. And it struck me at that time that they were pitching this as though it was something brand new, but I had already been to the border for a year, a year and a half earlier and had seen this in operation and then in Reynosa, Mexico. And then I saw it again and wrote, wrote about it in Mexicali, Mexico and in Tijuana that it had been expanded. And so I knew that it wasn't brand new. The administration also announced mainly that this thing was going to be for four nationalities only, or they, they suggested that, that it was going to be for four nationalities only, Haitians, Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans, because those were the most numerous. So they're going to bring them over the bridges. And the point was they were the biggest illegal crossing groups. And so they were trying to funnel them through the so-called legally, in quotes, 
so that it wouldn't look as bad in the Border Patrol statistics. That was basically the point, right? Exactly. Lest they be um, added to the Fox News drone footage, you know, down at the riverbank, which looks terrible. At any rate, I realized that in my earlier reporting, I had met people from all over the world who were going through the CBP-1 parole process uh, in Tijuana and Reynosa and everywhere else, and that it wasn't just the four nationalities. So just to fill in for listeners, a wannabe illegal immigrant would schedule his illegal entry to the United States through this app, show up at a port of entry, be let in, and they would do some kind of processing, paperwork, checking, or whatever, and then they're paroled into the country, which allows them to get a work permit for a certain period of time, and they could renew that after a while. But it's all outside the law. In other words, these people have no legal right to come into the United States. The administration is just letting them in. Right. It's an ad hoc kind of admission program that the administration just created outside of the authority of Congress, which usually does that sort of thing. There is litigation. Texas and a bunch of other states are suing to shut it down. But, you know, those things take time. So at this point, nobody has like officially declared in a court of law that it's illegal. But a lot of people definitely believe that that this is something that's extra legal for sure. Right. Uh, and in the meantime, you know, they're bringing in 30,000. They said they bring in 30,000 of just those four nationalities a month. But then every time I went down there, I noticed that there were all these other nationalities in the line. Mm-hmm. Kyrgyzstanis and Mexicans everywhere and Hondurans. And it wasn't just those four, but you know, every month the administration produces what's called a, an operational update, which is mm-hmm. all the activity for the month. They have a section for these land port entries where they only ever talk about those four nationalities again. So right. over time, I, I came to understand that they were sandbagging on the country. They were just not interested in disclosing really how large it was and, and all the different nationalities. So we filed a FOIA for the information at the center back in late March, I believe it was. And they ignored us. Mm-hmm. They also ignored a number of members of Congress who were also very interested in knowing the totality of the program. And they ignored those letters too, you know, requests for information, right? basic requests for information. So then it just became obvious after they blew our deadlines that, you know, we were going to have to take harder, a harder measure. Nobody wants to go through litigation. It's a pain. It takes time. It costs, uh, you know, time and money and all that. But, you know, as you know, you know, you're the one that authorized it. So (laughs) we went ahead and, and sued. And just so people know, we've actually expanded our FOIA operation significantly. We now have a full-time attorney whose job is filing these FOIA requests, working with the staff on what to ask for, how to ask for it, and all that. And then if they don't get a response, to file lawsuits. And we also have a button on the homepage. You'll see it, cis.org. It's a whistleblower button. And that does kind of relate to the FOIA issue too, because it's not just for, say, people inside the administration who have information that 
would be useful for us. We have a secure email address for you to send it to if you think there's something that needs to get out there. But part of that also is if you are in the bureaucracy and you know of information that should be publicly available but isn't being released, in other words, information that we could submit a FOIA request for, that also is that secure email address to get in touch with our uh, FOIA director so that we would be able to know specifically what to ask for, in what words, what file, what information, because that's the way you have to do it. Otherwise, they're going to play with you and not give you what you need. So what we did here is you knew what we wanted and worked on the request for FOIA, but I just wanted to insert that if there are people listening here who are in DHS or DOL or, home, or Health and Human Services or any other agency, and you know of information that would be important to get out to the public, we have a secure way of your alerting us to the existence of that information. We don't want people to be compromising themselves or breaking any rules, but it helps in preparing and submitting FOIA requests to know exactly what memo to ask for and what data to request. And that's what you did here. So let's just get the sort of first top level findings. How many people have been let in over the land borders through this CBP-1 scheme and given parole, including work permits, and just let go into the United States? Right. Well, we can say that we know that now. Right. 249,000 plus just from the inception of the program, which a lot of people who follow these things only think that it started in January of 2023 when they made a big to-do about it. Right. But it dates back to May of 2021 is when they actually began it. So if you include 2021-2022 numbers, the total comes out to be about 249,000 through August. And then we know that in just the month of September, there were probably another 30,000. So, you know, it looks like about 275, 280,000 altogether for, for the span of time. And just to make clear here, too, this report is following up on earlier data you got about a different group of people using the CBP-1 scheme to be led into the country, even though they have no right to be here. But instead of walking across the border with Mexico, which is what your new report is about, there was a separate group that are literally allowed to fly from their home countries, fly right over the border into interior U.S. airports. And that's like similar in size, right? Right. And all of this is just part of what the administration calls its lawful pathways strategy, right. that where they're going to create safe, orderly, humane, lawful pathways for illegal immigrants, people that would otherwise cross illegally to just come in, I'll put in air quotes, legally or lawfully or whatever into the country. And that one involves a whole other set of nationalities. Those are a much more restricted, limited set of nationalities, but they keep expanding it. And this one allows you to just not even go into Mexico on you know the grounds that it's really dangerous to cro- to go through Mexico. You can apply for this in some safe third country or your home country on the app, 
put in all your biometric data and everything, and then schedule for a uh, travel authorization. If you get a travel authorization from Washington, you buy your own air ticket and fly into the data showed 221,000 people through August, January, just January through mid-September. Right. Had taken advantage of this from four of the countries to 43 U.S. airports. The administration or CBP is still fighting us as of the time of this recording on the locations of those 43 airports, saying that it's you know protected law, sensitive law enforcement information or something like that. We're not finished by any stretch with that, trying to get that number, those details about which airports they are. But between the two programs, we're looking at you know 470,000 people at least probably in excess of 500,000, most of them just in the 2023 period, who have been brought in sight unseen, either into U.S. airports or just spilling out from land port buildings into the country. Yeah, and to be clear, these are people who have no right to come into the United States. This administration is essentially bypassing Congress's authority and just letting these people in even though there's no basis for it. So, right. um, and so, I mean, we're talking half a million people, and that's just one piece of the illegal immigrant flow that this administration has led in. So, as you said, your new reports are about are the ones who have been coming over the land border using this CBP-1 app to schedule their illegal immigration. They're coming from a whole bunch of countries, not just the four countries the administration talks about, what kind of range of countries and why is that important? Right. Well, the range of countries surprised even me. I, I mean, I've been meeting the immigrants in my field research on the bridges, and I knew that there were a lot of Mexicans. But then not that long ago, I met Kyrgyzstanis in my hotel, Matamoros, Mexico, and they were all on the CBP-1 app. And then I met some some other, you know, from all over the world, I've met them. Just for people who aren't geography geeks like I am, Kyrgyzstan is, during the Soviet period, they call it Kyrgyzia. It's former Soviet Republic in Central Asia that borders on China. Right. And, you know, it's in a dangerous neighborhood uh, with Tajikistan and Afghanistan and Uzbekistan as well. And there are a lot of terrorist organizations that are active, very deadly and running around through all those borders. And it's really all quite porous over there. And many hundreds of people from those countries fought for ISIS and Syria and are, are, you know, returning fighters. And, you know, there's a higher risk. And I counted of the 97 countries in total Mm -hmm. that had been allowed appointments and then approved for parole into the country, right? that of those, there were 24 that were of countries of national security interest that are on a U.S. designated list because of those kind of problems in those countries. We don't really know who they are, so we tag people from those countries, or we're supposed to, for enhanced security vetting and interviews. And it's unclear at this point. One of the questions we raise in the reporting is, that you know we don't really have an answer about like what they're doing for security vetting on these people 
Right. Uh, they're supposed to run them through criminal database checks. We know that. But I mean, you know, if you've never been in the country before, there's no crime that's detectable because mm-hmm. you've never been here. Uh, so uh, unless you're on a terror watch list and not everybody is, who's a bad guy, you know, you're just going to be, you know, ushered right into the country. And so we just wanted to raise that as the national security issue that a lot of Homeland Security professionals believe that it is. And members of Congress and, you know, a lot of regular people are worried about this right now because of the war in the Middle East. And even before there was a war in the, in the Middle East that was maybe inflaming passions of people that were crossing the border. Well, there's always been a war somewhere in the Middle East, uh, even before yeah, well, that's the true. current one. That's true. And so, you know, we point out that there are these 24 countries that, that we know are on the list, and those are beyond Central Asia, places like Iran, which is very much part of this war, and Lebanon, where there's Hezbollah, and, you know, places like Yemen and, you know, Syria. There were some Syrians that showed up in Iraq, some Iraqis. And it goes on like that a lot from Mauritania and a few from Bangladesh and Egypt and Morocco, Pakistan, Sudan, uh, and so forth. So those are countries that I don't think the administration was eager to publicize or boast about. Look how we're helping all of these Uzbekistanis. You know, there's like 1,800 of those. And look how we're helping, you know, that nobody was boasting about that. It took a FOIA litigation to just pry that out. And hopefully, you know, it'll better inform the public about what questions to ask next time there's a press conference or whatever. Yeah. And the important point here is that we get, you know, at least some illegal border crossers from some of these countries. And you wrote a whole book on, you know, how our security apparatus responds when an illegal border crosser from, let's say, Syria or some one of these other countries where terrorist groups are active, what security agencies do. In other words, uh, what kind of, they do interviews with them, that kind of stuff, see whether they're just regular working stiffs, which is you know bad enough if they're illegal aliens, but or whether they're actually represent some kind of threat. But what this is about that you've written about Using the CBP-1 app, these people are being ushered into the United States. The Biden administration is affirmatively saying, yes, we will let you 1,800 Uzbeks into the United States. And that's a very different thing, both in principle, but also in scale. Because, you know, if you had, you know, one Uzbek a week, for instance, I'm not picking on Uzbekistan in particular, but it's just in front of me. You know, it's easy to do more intense interviewing or what have you to see whether the person is a bad guy. If you're getting dozens of them over the period that you looked at, 1,800 just from Uzbekistan, what kind of actual investigation can you do with that number, that volume of people? Well, that's the question. Not much. I testified not long ago in September to the uh, subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee about this very thing. And, you know, I pointed out that we had so many special interest aliens is what they call them, or special interest migrants is what the Biden administration calls them because they don't like the word alien. We're coming over. 
that the system that you just described of interviews and vetting uh, that when when we had 3,000 or 4,000 a year is just not capable of processing volumes like these that are coming in illegally. The Daily Caller said 75,000 in just eight, eight or nine months of 2023 instead of the three or 4,000 that they normally get. Right. And, you know, you make a, a, a very important distinction because the ones that are crossing illegally, we just sort of don't have a choice in that. They, we just have to contend with them when they enter of their own volition. Right. But with all of these nationalities that we are approving for CBP-1 appointments and parole is done by affirmative choice. We don't have to choose them. We, we could deny their applications for appointments and parole. But this is an important distinction because we're not about 7,300. We just chose to bring in, and I have no indication at all at this point that the vetting of people that we choose to bring in from those countries is uh, anywhere near as what it needs to be to assure the American public that you know they're not they're not going to come in and do something. In other words, the Biden administration is knowingly overwhelming our ability to do the kind of close vetting and interviewing and what have you that is warranted for people from these dangerous, potentially dangerous countries. That's right, and you know the the administration needs to be asked about what they're doing here. I didn't have time between the time we got this to go after but i mean surely now that the information is out there you know there are responsible people who are have a, re- a reasonable expectation of getting an answer about like what are what are you doing to vet the people that you choose to affirmatively stamp for approval to come in this way from those countries now you had spoken to an anonymous source that you referred to who said they are doing some kind of enhanced vetting of people that are being approved through this appointment scheme but come from one of these dangerous countries but what can running their names through a couple more databases say like with classified information how much could that really help how much does that really improve the vetting if you're not sitting down and interviewing them and you know, checking all the stuff in their pockets and all their paperwork they're carrying and everything else. How much good does it do to, you know, run their name through three other databases in addition to, say, the two of them that everybody else gets run through? I did reach out to somebody who is directly involved in vetting CBP-1 applicants who come in for parole over the bridges and knows all about this. And The information I got back was that the special interest migrants or aliens that are being brought in through this do go through another round of checking through classified databases. Right. But not much else. But then even this person said, but, you know, if they've never registered on anybody's intelligence radar anywhere in, in the world or in our federal databases, intelligence databases, then there, of course, there'd never be a hit. They right. would come out as, as clean. We don't have everybody who should be on a terror list actually on the terror list. There are a lot of people from these countries. They're coming from countries that have terrible intelligence services 
don't bother to collect this kind of stuff. And if they do, they don't share it very well. You know, Heck, they don't even have DMVs, quite honestly. I mean, it's not yeah, some of them. I mean, some of it's just the issue of even basic identifying information, let alone a friendly intelligence service. That's right. And, you know, others are going to be hostile diplomatically to the United States. Like, I don't know how they did a, an intel check on the Iranians that they let in. Right. You know, you can't call Tehran and say, hey, can you do us a, a solid on this? And frankly, even if they told you something, could you really believe it? You know what I mean? In other words, if you had, I don't know, Iranian or Syrian intelligence say, oh, okay, yeah, we'll definitely give you information about this guy. We looked him up and he's clean. How could you even believe that? Right. I mean, the whole thing is problematic. Even the, the ones that are coming in illegally, sure, they go through database checks too. But in the pre-mass migration period, at least we could get an FBI agent eyeball to eyeball with that person in a detention center and spend hours and hours grilling them about where they've been and their associations, et cetera. But you know, if you've got you know, thousands of them, you just can't do those interviews. I've done those interviews myself when I was with uh, Texas DPS, and it takes very exhausting and tedious to go through and finish one. Right. There's just no way that they're doing this. I don't believe they're doing this, but you know, I don't have that confirmed. Somebody needs to ask that question. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath, but hopefully somebody will. Right. And then you know, there were some other strange, unexplained nationalities that they were granting. This too, I, you're probably going to go there next. I'm guessing, but sure. You know, I mean, we had some some onesies and twosies from strange places like France, and even from England. You know, the UK come up to our border and ask for a CBP one appointment and parole. Right. We had one one or two from Canada. Like what? You know, somebody's got to explain to me. Whatever that story is, it's probably interesting. All of those stories are probably right. interesting. But, you know, still you had to have somebody in Washington, somewhere in those agencies, stamp a yes on those applications. And then you had people from Hungary and Poland. And as I point out in the story, these aren't places that are known for persecuting or they're, they're not even particularly poor right. uh, kind right. of countries. And, you know, and the premise behind this whole thing is that they are paroling these people in in order for them supposedly to pursue some kind of asylum claim or make some kind of uh, claim for protection, but which may or may not even happen. I mean, uh, it's obviously people are gaming the system, but, you know, if you're from Britain or Canada or France, first of all, if you could just fly here you know, on a visa waiver. In other words, you don't even need a visa. I don't know, and you don't talk about, you don't speculate in the paper, but my guess is some of these are people who could come here, you know, from France or what have you, but I would have to do it as a tourist and they wouldn't have a work permit. And so this is a way to game the system to get employment authorization. I don't know that that's the case, but that's one thing that occurs to me about why you would you know, use this CBP-1 gimmick to enter the country illegally, basically, rather than just fly in as a regular tourist. Let's not forget what you're talking about here, the, the reports that you released this week, these are people coming across the land border from Mexico. So they're not coming from like England and they can't get a hip replacement or something, which is ludicrous enough, but these are people who are already in Mexico 
like I met earlier this year, I was on the Arizona border. These people were not using CBP-1. They just walked across the border illegally and were let go. But they were from Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, and had flown to Mexico to Cancun from Paris and then took a bus up to the border. You know, everybody who's been using the system or the CBP-1 system that we're talking about here crossing the land borders has gotten themselves to the Mexican border already. And then they're using this as a way to get across and into the United States. Right. And so whoever stamped yes on those, I'd like to ask them, what were you thinking? What was this all about? Was there no, really no other alternative for that person to enter the U.S. to get whatever it was that they want? They get a work permit is the big distinction. Right. And I have met British subjects who are, have been in, in line for legal immigration applications for years and years and years, very frustrated about it, Right, can't get in, it takes too long or whatever. And I could kind of maybe see one of them just saying, you know what, I'm going to throw up my hands and try this. And then it worked. You know, right. I wonder if that's what it was. It's kind of like, I mean, Americans even make this joke, you know, it's uh, why don't I go to Mexico and cross illegally and then I'll get free health care or something like that. And so arguably this, I mean, it could well be this handful of people are kind of doing that same kind of gimmick. So there are also some other, before we finish up here, some other nationalities. There were large numbers of Russians. Isn't that correct? Yes. That was a surprising finding because the Russians were in the about 24,000. It coincided with the war, of course. And I have met Russians down there who have explained that, you know, this is, they didn't want to get conscripted into the war. So it looks like these are probably going to be a lot of war draft dodgers from Russia. But, you know, a lot of Russians just came and entered illegally and got in that way. Right. I think something on the order of, you know, another 25,000 at least just crossed illegally in the last year or so, a couple of years. And again, you know, the administration, that's a diplomatic possible implication there, you know, in Russian-U.S. relations. We're trying to run a war over here that you don't like maybe, but, you know, you're you're taking in our draft dodgers and you right. know we might do something about that if you keep doing it this despite the fact that fleeing conscription is explicitly not a ground right. for getting asylum so we're letting right. people in to apply for asylum when they are basically telling us the reason that they're you know the basis of their claim is something that's already precluded and they're guaranteed to be turned down it's uh, it's crazy when I was doing some research about the, about the Russians crossing the border, I noticed that that their surge coincided with public statements by the president and his spokeswoman that hey, if you can get yourself to the U.S., we'll give you asylum here. Come on! Right. And Surprise. right right after that is when that surge happened. So clearly, this is part of some kind of a policy. And they just sort of like smurged it in where you can't really folded it into the the blanket, so to speak, so you can't really nobody can really tell what that there's a policy going on in the middle of all this. Interesting. Interesting. So are there other shoes to drop, as it were, from this particular request for for, for information? In other words, that this data is from. Is there other stuff uh, in the pipeline? Yeah, there's more coming. But before I go there, I just want there was one other nationality that is 
really striking okay. uh, that they were letting in, and that's Mexican oh, right. nationals. In fact, yep. Mexican nationals ranked, I believe, as the number one CBP-1 beneficiary of parole. And that is really interesting. There are 57,000, more than 57,000 through August. And I knew that they were letting Mexicans in this because I'd met lots of them in line Mm -hmm. as they were waiting their turn to cross the bridge. And this is unusual. I mean, you know, because, you know, Mexicans don't really qualify for asylum. It's established for many, many years. You never really see very many Mexicans apply for asylum because they're turned down in the 96 plus percentile range. Right. With the presumption is that, well, if you live in a bad neighborhood, you can move to a good neighborhood right. just as well as somebody in South Chicago could move to you know West Chicago and you know escape the gunfire or whatever. Right. But here they are being granted in very, very large numbers, 57,000 work authorizations. So it, I don't know what this is. Somebody needs to ask right. the administration to explain this, that they, they owe the American public, if they've created a new work program outside of Congress and folded that up in the blankets where you can't see it either, it gets lost in the in the creases, then you know that needs to be brought out and you know Congress should have a say in something like that. The people should have a say in something like that. I'm not saying it's a terrible thing to let you know Mexicans working or anything like that, but I mean if you're gonna do it, you know, announce it. And it doesn't look like they did here. If that's what this is. Right, right. So I don't know. Uh, that's a strange one. Right. So um, is, there, is there any more things we might expect from at least this particular FOIA request? Well, we're still in negotiations. They're, they're foot dragging and resisting every step of the way. Every line item in my FOIA, we are having to negotiate and battle to try to avoid court. At some point, we may actually end up in court. but. One of the data sets that I'm very interested in receiving that we asked for, and they said that they have it, are the 43 airports that they're flying people in from foreign countries Mm -hmm. and dropping them in there. You know, like in the northern cities, I suspect, like New York and Chicago, those places that are being flooded and having a big problem absorbing unfunded burdens like that are blaming Governor Greg Abbott for bussing them in. I strongly suspect JFK and Chicago O'Hare and Boston, you know, Logan and and all of them are probably on the list. Right. And those would be Biden flying them in. And I'm sorry if you don't like the political optics of that, but it's not law enforcement sensitive. They're claiming a law enforcement exception for providing the num- the names of the airports. So we'll see what happens with that and then the center has just filed a lawsuit, another FOIA lawsuit over the nationalities we've, we're seeking, nationalities and locations and group affiliations of people who crossed the border who turned out to be already on the FBI's terrorism watch list. Right. We've had a record number of those in the last three years, 270 mm-hmm. that they've caught that we know of who flagged on the FBI terror watch list. And this data is provided on the CBP.gov website. Every month you get to see how many more they caught. But there's no illuminating details about it. Like it doesn't tell you how many 
might be affiliated with Hamas and Hezbollah, which would be very useful right now, for example. For sure. Or if there's some other foreign policy thing happening in some other part of the world that we would want to know if those nationalities are coming in and they're not giving it to them. They're just ignoring us, actually. They just ignored us into oblivion, really, except that we're not disappearing into oblivion. We're suing on it now. We just filed October 13th, so keep keep your fingers crossed on that. Well, very good. Uh, thank you, Todd Benzman. The um, reports we published this week by Todd are the result of prying this information out of the supposedly most transparent administration in history. Um, <laughs> right. And the, uh, they're grouped together on our website. One is, new, one is called New Records Unveils Surprising Scope of Secretive CBP-1 Entry Scheme. And the other report, the companion report, is thousands of special interest aliens posing potential national security risks entering via CBP-1 app. So uh, neither one is like an encyclopedia. They're both pretty concise and give the information that we managed to get out of the administration and the context that Todd is able to bring to it because of his extensive reporting down there on the border. So thanks for joining us, Todd, and I'm sure we're going to have you back because this issue isn't going away. Thank you. Appreciate it. And finally, I wanted to draw your attention to a couple of blog posts that were on our site this week that look at the end of the fiscal year situation at the border. So the federal government's fiscal year ends September 30th. So the data was for the fiscal year that ended. It was FY 2023. We're now in FY 2024. I don't know why they came up with fiscal years like this. I'm sure there's some good reason for it. But the government belatedly released the information for the previous fiscal year that just ended. They did it. They released it on a Saturday morning, hoping, I guess, nobody would notice. We noticed Andrew Arthur, in particular, who follows this very closely for us, wrote a couple of blog posts. First one, truly wretched border stats released in the Saturday morning news dump. And the other, more startling takeaways from CBP's Saturday morning news dump stats. And you probably have heard already a little bit about this if you follow the issue, but it's the worst situation at the border that it's ever been. When you put everybody who was so-called encountered at the border, that's the politically correct term that the Biden administration uses for illegal immigrants coming either sneaking across the border or coming through ports of entry, as we talked about yesterday, or coming through ports of entry, as we just talked about with Todd, there were 3.2 million such encounters illegal immigrants either at the northern or southern border or at the ports of entry, a 15% increase from the total number in the previous year. So it's only getting worse. They're coming from a wider range of countries. The numbers of illegal immigrants being let in at ports of entry, again, that's the kind of thing we were just talking about, is higher than it's ever been. And the administration is actually, as, as I'm recording this, asking Congress for millions of more dollars for the border, but saying that what it's going to do with it is speed up the Border Patrol's processing of illegal immigrants coming into the United States. So 
I'll let you look into the details if you want, but it's bad. It's getting worse. And there was a economics advisor in the Nixon administration, actually the actor Ben Stein's father, who said, if something can't continue forever, it won't. And I don't see how this can continue, but it's been getting worse every year the Biden administration has been in power. We'll see if that trend continues. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm always loath to say it can't get any worse because whenever you say that, it always gets worse. And I think it's probably going to be getting worse. And we will be here following it uh, at the center, both with our research and our podcast. So please tune in. Future podcasts, you can subscribe at any podcast platform you like. Leave us a review or a rating. Or if you have any compliments, criticisms, or suggestions, feel free to email us at center at cis.org. Until next time, this is Mark Krikorian. 